he knew that what I was doing was legitimate and he actually offered me a job on the spot. Being at the table with those key decision makers in a company that's going through such rapid growth is really cool. People in the venture world do really well as they can talk or, or at least listen and contribute to a conversation on any topic. It was one of the most difficult things I think I have ever done in my life. Hi everyone, I'm Taiki and you're listening to New to Venture. It's the show that uncovers the secret world of venture capital and startups. From the multi-billion dollar exits to the biggest company blowups, if you don't know much about VC and startups, you've come to the right place. It's time to get hype because the one and only Aiden Kittridge has joined us on the show today. She is one of the up-and-coming community builders in the startup and VC space. So if you're based in Boston, you've probably seen her hosting an event or moderating a panel. Since a young child, it seems like she caught the startup and entrepreneurial bug. She created a nonprofit organization called Dress for School Success in middle school. And when she went to University of New Hampshire, uh, she became the managing director of the UNH Ryan's Angel Fund. After college, she joined Gutbrain Ventures and PBJ Capital as a venture associate, then Riverbend Capital. Now she works at one of the best accelerators in the world, working directly with some of the most promising startups in an operational role and building community within Boston's innovation ecosystem. Welcome, my friend, and I just found out fellow AKSI brother. Uh, welcome to the show, the unstoppable Aiden Kittridge. Oh my gosh, what an intro. Thank you so much. Um, I really am so honored to be on here today speaking with you and sharing the insights that I've learned being in the space. So hi, everyone. I'm Aiden. Great to meet you all. And I'm so excited for this. Let's get started. Let's do it. Before we dive right into startups and venture capital, let's talk a little bit about Dress for School. What's the story there? <laughs> were you, you were in middle school yeah. at the time? I was. Uh, so I was only 12 years old when I started Dress for Success. And let's not get ahead of ourselves. This is a very small nonprofit. It's not too impressive, but still for a 12 year old, um, it was the most incredible experience. And I have my parents to thank for supporting me in this endeavor. Um, but Dress for School Success is a nonprofit organization that provides free and gently used clothes to students who are in need. Um, and we would set up a store that looked a lot like a thrift store and then students could come in and shop completely for free. And our end goal was that they would be able then to focus on succeeding in school rather than having to fit in with the status quo. Oh, that's lovely. I actually had a really similar school project. When I was in middle school, I had a project in which I discussed the societal pressure that comes within fashion. Oh my gosh. Right? So they, I did so a lot huge, of, yeah, right? like, yeah, like the, uh, the difference between you know, someone who looks like they're homeless versus someone wearing the suit, they will have the same exact actions, but be treated completely differently. So I'm glad that we were on the same wavelength, even at a, at a young age. Definitely. And I still live and breathe by that. I try to present myself in a manner that gives off a good first impression. I think that it does speak volumes. So that was something I believed in at a young age and then continue to believe in um, now. Yeah. I'm not sure if I ever told you this, Aiden, but when I first met you, which was at a Capital Z event in Boston, by the way, shout out Greg, who runs these amazing events. Oh my gosh. I have that in my okay. notes to mention. <laughs> on what up, Greg? I have met some of my best friends through Capital Z, including you. Oh my. Yeah. I remember there was like a, there was a rooftop networking event mm -hmm. and it was one of the first ones I'd ever been to. And I was like deathly nervous for it. <laughs> and so I was walking around and I saw you who had like one of the fanciest outfits, not, maybe not <laughs> fancy, but like stylish outfits. You were wearing this like brown long coat. Oh, interesting. Right? And yeah. then you, and you were wearing like a, a nice pair of heels. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like she probably knows what she's talking about. I have to go <laughs> catch her. And we had See? a mutual and friend. And I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> and it was a great impression, right? <laughs> Um, no, but I, I love fashion. That's definitely one of my um, passions and something that I pursue in my free time is like looking at outfits and planning out things. So definitely interesting to see how my background has kind of followed me into my career now. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. So you started the nonprofit. I guess you were mm -hmm. just like an entrepreneurial kid and into that sort of space just growing up. Um, yeah. How did you find that that kind of fueled your interest in startups and VC once you were in college as well? 
Yes, absolutely. So I did start that startup company, but I was really surrounded by startups my entire life. My father is a serial entrepreneur and then both of my grandfathers too own companies. So I've really been in the ecosystem of startups since I was born um, and learning about what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And then when I went to the University of New Hampshire for college, um, I was looking for an outlet for that curiosity and found the Ryan's Angel Investment Fund, as well as a few other groups that I joined. But the Ryan's Fund is really the one that stuck. Um, and they pitched it to us as kind of like Shark Tank, which was my favorite show at the time. Um, and I had no idea what angel investing or venture capital was at the time, but joined kind of blindly. Um, and then it just became this huge uh, passion for me throughout my college career. I ended up growing in the ranks in the Ryan's Fund and eventually became the managing director. Wow. OK, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so, by the way, really quick, I'm not sure if you know this, but my parents are also entrepreneurs. Oh, and really? so, yeah, growing up, I always watched like all the, I think like CNBC shows like Shark Tank, <laughs> like The Prophet yep. with Marcus Lemonis, which I actually wrote my my um, Common App essay on, oddly enough. Oh, cool. But, um, so, yeah, I was always super interested in that stuff as well. And it's really good to hear that you went to a school that had those resources to really mm -hmm. engage in startups and venture capital. So I guess what was the... What was the moment when you were at college where you knew, oh, this is something that is pretty interesting to me? I guess the catalyst was when I got into the room of uh, all these really smart people and was just amazed that they were learning about these technologies I didn't even know were a possibility. Um, so at being in venture capital, one of the things I love most is that you're really at the edge of innovation. And that was the first time that I had seen these innovations that were so far-fetched and so far in the future um, that I had never even dreamt of this world where such high technology solutions were a possibility. Um, and it just really got my gears turning and I got to dive deep into um, industries that I was super passionate about. Um, and so that's really what sparked it, I guess, um, was when I got into that room surrounded by these curious minds. And I'm, I'm someone that kind of feeds off of the energy of a room. And I met some people through the Ryan's Angel Fund that were way smarter than me um, and just flipped that switch on. And so you joined as like, I'm not sure what, how the corp or the structure of that organization worked, but you joined as like an, an analyst and then you moved your way up to managing director. Exactly. Yeah. So analysts are the or the first year um, associates and then they move up into a general associate role. And then you're eligible after your second year to start um, going on to the executive committee or you could become a principal, which leads our diligence reports or our diligence teams rather. Um, and so, yeah, I moved from analyst to associate and then directly onto the executive committee where I was in charge of recruiting new members. And that role I loved because I got to go out and talk about how awesome the fund was and educate people people about what venture capital is. And something that I really focused on was diversifying the fund. So I went to schools outside of the business school. So I'd go to like the engineering school, I'd go to the health sciences school um, and try to recruit people into our fund that could bring those different areas of expertise. Mm, yeah, I love that. And as a as an engineer myself, I realized that very few engineers want to go into venture capital, at least like early in their right, career. Right, but we need you so, guys. <laughs> I mean, I, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. I feel like my engineering background wasn't strong enough to actually be applicable to VC, but maybe that's just the case for me because mm -hmm. I've always done things related to startups and business. I didn't really like dive deep into like mechanical engineering or bioengineering. Um, but mm -hmm. anyway, yeah, so at your time at UNH, right, there was this Forbes article that was released about you and I think the other MD at um, UNH. Yeah. Yes, Kelsey Dahl. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience? That yeah, must have been absolutely. awesome. A lot of exposure. It was so cool. Yes, the um, faculty that ran the Rhines Fund alongside us, he had a connection with someone at Forbes and reached out and was like, hey, I think we're doing something really cool that you may want to cover. And she just ate it up, which we were so fortunate to have that connection. Um, but so, yeah, Jerry is her name. And Jerry came and interviewed myself and my co-managing director, Kelsey. Um, and the title of the article was University of New Hampshire creates a pipeline of women venture capitalists, which I just loved because I like what a cool title. 
Um, but yeah, now a bunch of the women that I worked with in um, the the Ryan's Angel Investment Fund have pursued a career in venture, which I think is just incredible. It's so needed. Um, I I was actually reading the article today in preparation for this, and I a couple of facts I wanted to highlight. Um, I saw in the article that less than five percent of all venture partners are women, which is so incredible to think about just less than 5%. So that's definitely something I'm passionate about changing. Um, and through my time in the Ryan's Fund, we really prioritized having a diverse funds, like I was saying. And one of that was by uh, splitting the gender equally. So we had over 40% of our uh, members in the fund were female. So that's something I'm super, super proud of. And I hope that, um, and I, I, do, I know that we are having a tangible aspect on diversifying the world of venture capital even from a small state school, you know? <laughs> That's amazing. Have you found that once that article was, was released, there was a lot more interest for the angel fund or there was more there was more credibility given to you? Like yeah, absolutely. We got a lot of outside interest actually of people that have uh, female-led funds in or angel groups in the greater New England area that somehow stumbled upon the article and then reached out to us to either partner with us or we have a liaison program as well. So associates are um, able to become liaisons where they go out and they go to the venture partner meetings or the LP meetings um, of these different funds in the area and then come back and teach us about what they learned. So we had a couple of partnerships with female-led funds in the greater Boston area that we ended up having liaisons go and match up with. Oh, my goodness. What an amazing experience. It must have been sad to leave that after your senior year. Very sad. Yeah, I feel like I left a part of myself there, but I still check in regularly. Definitely close to the heart. <laughs> I would not be in the position that I'm in, period, without uh, the support from the Rhines Fund. Oh, that's so amazing to hear. And it's good that they have an amazing role model in you, Aiden, for sure. Um so did your time at the UNH Angel Fund and the connections that you've made through that experience, did that directly lead into what you did post-grad at Gutbrain and BBJ? Or was it more of like uh, you had to do a whole recruiting process for um, another venture role? So I did go through uh, the recruiting process my senior year. I leaned heavily into applying to venture roles, but... It is a rough world out there, which we'll touch upon later in this podcast, I'm sure, a lot. Um, however, I didn't get your classic um, venture role just due to the competitiveness. And seeing that I went to a state school, I was disadvantaged. Um, but I, yes, it's 100% through the Rhines Fund. Um, actually, I would say like 50%. Um, I also networked like crazy. And that ended up meeting um, this wonderful man who invited me to meet his uh, his investor. And when I met with the investor, um, we really just clicked. This is Bob Davoli of Gut Brain Ventures. Shout out, Bob. Um, but yeah, so Bob Davoli and I met. We really clicked. We had a similar investing philosophy. He was so incredibly smart, and I recognized that. Um, and then he also was asking me about the, my time in the Rhines Fund, and it just so happened that one of the portfolio companies that I had helped source and diligence for the Rhines Fund was also one of his investments. Uh, he knew that what I was doing was legitimate, and he actually offered me a job on the spot, and I was a weak wait wow wait so that was lucky right but this was a week before graduation and the Rhines fund has a long standing since this the fund began we have a statistic that a hundred percent of all Rhines fund members have a job before graduation and as the managing director i what i didn't have a job it was a week before graduation it was i was in a tough spot and so then when I got that offer, I was like, I'll accept right then. Um, and it was just the, the greatest experience working for Bob. Oh, my goodness. What a story. What a story. <laughs> the pressure must have been like absolutely unreal. It was unreal. And I called up uh, the faculty member that was running Rhines. I was like, oh, my gosh, I got an offer as a venture. <laughs> and he's like, thank God we get to keep the statistic. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's amazing. And not to mention, like being a venture associate as a first job out of college is incredibly difficult. Like Very it's hard. it's it's mostly like venture is for the most part 
people's like second or third job right. after doing something that's also extremely competitive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so that's, that's a, that's a, what an amazing story. And so I, I found that, you know, we can go into recruiting a little bit right now, but um, a lot of these venture roles are not even like open applications, right? No. Like there'll, there'll be things that like, you just have to know someone who yeah. knows someone or who's you need like, to be okay, I'm hiring right now. Blog or whatever right? it might be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how did that conversation go for you to convince him to hire you on the spot? Like, did you, did you go into it thinking like, I'm going to try to get a job out of this conversation? I mean, obviously I was doing everything I possibly could to get a job at that point in time, but I really went into the conversation with no expectations. I just wanted to have a cool chat with a guy who was super smart, wealthy, investing in the the leading companies and is a decision maker. He had started a a amazing company um, back in the 90s and really that company took off and it changed his life and then he became a career VC. So I just wanted to hear his story um, and kind of hear about what advice he had for me as a young professional looking to get into the space. I had no idea he was going to offer me a job on the spot, um, but I'm forever thankful. Oh, yeah. And so did he did he talk about what the job would like entail or like was that something like of a later conversation? It was a later conversation. Okay, okay. For sure. I think he had to gather his thoughts and maybe be like, wait, do I actually want to hire her? <laughs> but yeah, I ended up getting a, a job description and like offer letter maybe a week later after he talked to his friend, Bruce Clark, who is my other boss at PBJ Capital. They ended up in a role between the two funds because they co-invest on most deals. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, what is what is that dynamic like between gut brain and PBJ? Because yeah. um, I can I can understand how that could be a confusing combination or like it's like a dual fund almost or a dual family office. Yes, it is. It's very confusing, especially if you're to look at my LinkedIn or resume with no explanation. <laughs> Um, But what it is, is two very wealthy individuals. Um, I was managing their personal funds or their their private wealth. So it's a family office, correct? It's it's two different family offices that co-invest alongside each other. Um, They often lead rounds, which was a super interesting experience for me because I had the opportunity to help help draft term sheets, negotiate those terms, work with with, with lawyers to make sure that the round uh, was getting completed on time and legally and everyone was happy with the terms. Um, And then also like have a board observer seat after the fact, which was an amazing opportunity as someone who's super new and young in the space. That's super, super rare. Um, I, that's like a goal of mine to at some point get to be a, a board observer for an interesting startup. So what was that experience like being the board observer? Did you like provide any less glamorous than okay. it sounds? <laughs> um, board meetings are really boring, but <laughs> but it's still super interesting to hear um, the updates on the company, the roadmap, what features are being rolled out, how they see the vision of, of the company going in the next five to 10 years, say. Um, and then also just being at the table with those key decision makers in a company that's going through such rapid growth is really cool. I, it, it always ties back to what I said about the Rhines Fund, like surrounding yourself in a room of people that are way smarter than you, way cooler than you, um, is such a goal of mine in every decision that I make. So that was one opportunity that was definitely a highlight of being surrounded by very smart people. <laughs> yeah. I remember my one of my first fellowships was with the X Fund, which Jaden works at, right? And so I, w- I have on my notes too to shout out Jaden. <laughs> she's a we're, she's we're a on killer. the same wavelength today. Oh my god, she's absolutely amazing. Um, you know, funny story about a year and a half ago, I wanted to create a, a venture capital podcast, but it was about Boston-based investing because you know I was based in Boston at the time, and I thought that was my my value add to the community was that I was from Boston. That's what I could share. Um, right? You're right. I yeah. Remember we and talked about I this realized too. that um, I wasn't going to be in Boston for very long. Like I'd be moving around all over. So um, that podcast ended up not, uh, you know, coming to fruition and, and I didn't execute on it, but I did have Jaden on. And so I had Jaden on this podcast and we had a great time. And I'd love to get her on this podcast. I feel bad asking because I had already recorded with her earlier. I had had her on. And then at the end of it, she was like, hey, um, that was really, really fun. 
are you interested at all in being a fellow for the firm? And so that's how I had gotten that role, right? Through like not even a not even an application. It was like I had had her as a podcast guest. Amazing. And similarly to you, wow. Um, the one of the first Capital Z events I mm -hmm. went to, Jane was really popular. Like everyone was talking to her. Anyone, everyone wanted to go talk to her. And so I'm like, oh my goodness, like I have to get in front of this girl, right? So like I, I went to her and I introduced <laughs> myself, and we didn't really have like a long conversation, but she gave me her of phone course. number. And like I was in Hawaii for winter break and I was like, you know what? I have to like really capitalize on this connection. So I reached out to her about the podcast and everything. And and that's how like our yeah. friendship had really bloomed. But um, anyway, I, I remember in the first meeting for the X Fund Fellows, right? Uh, I was in this Zoom meeting with just like all these really, really intelligent people. And they were all from like Harvard, Stanford, MIT, which is really scary because I didn't come from a target school. Like you understand that as well, Aiden. Right, I can relate to all that, of course. And I felt like sort of this this slight sense of imposter syndrome. But on the other side of that same coin, the fact that you're surrounded by these people means that you're doing something right, right? All these like really, you know, confident speakers, very intelligent, yeah. uh, well-researched, um, eloquent people. So... Um, at first mm -hmm. it's really, it was really daunting. And that, that's what also makes recruiting a little difficult as well is because you keep telling yourself, I don't have the credentials. Like, I don't feel like I'm ready to apply or there's a, a lot of reasons to get down on yourself, especially if you're not from one of those mm -hmm. target schools. Um, but yeah, I'm just going on to add, add on to that story of being surrounded yeah. by some of the smartest and, and greatest people. And that's what I love most about working in startups in BC is founders are the most smart and passionate people and the investors yes. are some of the most smart and well-researched people yes and intellectually curious i think that's something i really seek out in people and, and people that i surround myself with is intellectual curiosity and can you also listen to someone else talk about a topic they're super passionate about and stay engaged even if it's not something you might particularly be in, uh, interested in yourself. Um, I love when people can be more of a generalist and not be like, ah, oh, that's not a topic I'm interested in hearing about. Uh, and that's something that I think that people in the venture world do really well is they can talk or, or at least listen and contribute to a conversation on any topic. It's it's often because, well, I mean, it stems from the fact that a lot of times as a venture associate or someone working in venture, one day you're researching like enterprise SaaS and, and a platform that's for like HR professionals. And then the next day you're researching a piece of equipment that's used in open heart surgery. And then the next day you're researching like a way to dispose of EV batteries. Like it's so, so um, across the map that you really do have to be a generalist and you have to be someone that's interested in learning no matter what the topic. Yeah, well said. I, I think so far, the thing that's gotten me the furthest in this world of startups in VC um, would be like the curiosity aspect, just mm -hmm. asking a lot of questions and trying to understand everything and, and not getting bored of trying to understand things. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I just at the previous company that I worked at, I like had to do due diligence for a fintech company. And the day after was doing due diligence for like a meditation company. Oh my gosh. Like it was so like hip, hypnosis therapy, basically. And I'm like, what is happening? But it was super right. fun. Like, it's super fun to learn about that sort of stuff. It is fun. And I will say, all three of those examples I just gave are topics I actually have had great diligence reports on. So I wasn't just mute. Wow. <laughs> wow. So for Gut Brain Ventures and PBJ, did they, they were like generalist funds, right? They were just investing in whatever they thought was really interesting. They were. And because they're solo LPs, they really could do whatever they wanted. Um, it's their personal money. So, hey, like whatever, you know, whatever comes their way that catches their eye. But I will say there was a common thread of a lot of enterprise SaaS um, because both of them come from a background of building companies in that space and they could provide the most value to the founders. Gotcha. Gotcha. So going back to that that experience there, you were there for about like a year and, and some change, right? I was. Um, so what were... I guess sort of the the key takeaways or learnings or highlights from working in in the family office space for that time. I would say key highlights were building a sourcing pipeline. Uh, that is something that not only benefited me in that role, and I really, really like had the most amazing experience getting integrated into this Boston startup ecosystem here. I think everyone is so welcoming as compared to maybe like Silicon Valley or even New York. City. 
it's a really easy uh, ecosystem to be able to penetrate and get to know people very well. Um, so that's what I leaned into as far as sourcing pipeline is building my personal network. But it was not like I was saying, not only beneficial to that role specifically, but now to me as like a professional on my own, it was a, a bit of a in hindsight, solo or, or like selfish pursuit as well, because now I have this amazing network that I can tap into for personal reasons, for career reasons, for future roles, my current role. Um, I, I tapped into it so, so much when I was recruiting for this current role. So building that sourcing pipeline was definitely a highlight. And I learned about um, how to hear a pitch in like five minutes and determine if it's something I want to move forward with or even less, like review a pitch deck over, you know, a minute and a half. <laughs> Decide if that's something I want to dive deeper into. So learning those really like initial skills of how to vet a company from the earliest stages was another highlight. Um, and then as like, as far as like negative experiences, I guess the part I didn't like as much was reviewing financial models and projection. I'm definitely not an analytical person. I'm much more qualitative analysis kind of gal. That's something I've realized now more recently, now that I'm in this new role that's more operational, still in the venture, in the venture capital world, however, more in a supportive role and community building role. I have absolutely love that because I get to pursue all of the things that really excite me and not the ones that don't. It's good, though, that early stage companies, right, generally don't have as much financials as some of the later stage. As we say in the industry, it's an art, not a science. <laughs> absolutely. And then so you moved from gut brain and PBJ to Riverbend for a little bit, right? I did. So that was actually a freelance role. Um, I was working for them for a short stint, helping them transition from an angel group that had largely no structure to something a bit more structured. And they're actually going on now to raise their first fund. So that was super cool to be there at the very initial stages, um, building out their like I said, sourcing pipeline, which I ha was familiar doing um, a diligence memo, investment memo, um, just the back end infrastructure also of like managing their community, doing their accounting, all of that. I helped them build their website, really whatever they needed me to there for. Um, but it was incredible. And I still consider myself and they can s still consider me a member of the team. And I'd love to still work with them in the future as I, as I have time and progress in my career. I will say your your experiences are very unique because you're getting like a full like from beginning to end understanding of the world of startup investing. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of analysts that, you know, go into these like larger firms, right? Their main focus is sourcing and diligence at most, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as you rise the ranks, you get to do a little bit more of like deal execution. Yeah. Or um like LP management, right? Mm -hmm. um, but for you, it seems like you were able to kind of do a little bit of everything. Yeah, absolutely. It, especially, I mean, with the family offices I was working for, I had a lot of autonomy as well. Like we were saying, I got a board observer seat. I was working with lawyers to draft term sheets and negotiate those I was also leading like customer calls as far as diligence went. Um, but then in this role with Riverbend Capital, it even inc it increased even more. I was working um, with all of the members of the angel group and seeing if how they felt about the transition into raising a fund and really managing that community. Um, and because it's funny, I touch on like managing that community because that kind of transitioned into the role that I'm in currently. And then also the things I'm doing outside of my my professional role as far as building community here in Boston, making a name for uh, my new role. And yeah, it, it was a great way to grow within the space and hone the skills that I was good at and passionate about and kind of move further away from the parts of venture capital I was not super passionate about, like we mentioned, like the financial modeling and more of the valuation activities and different um, living in Excel and working with numbers. De just definitely not my jam. <laughs> That's actually the perfect segue to what I wanted to talk about next, which was this concept of building community. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's been a term that's been thrown around a lot in the recent years, right? There's a lot of, you know, head of platform, right, is becoming... Uh, more common amongst VC firms yes. and, and their their role is to help build community and like, you know, work on marketing um, for the firm. So to be honest, though, I, I don't fully understand what it really means to build community. 
Mm-hmm. So what is that? What does that look like? You know, on a personal level, or for a firm, or for an accelerator, what does that look like? Well, the way that I view community, it's a group of people that's united by some common goal or like a similar value or a similar interest or all of the above. And they come together to lift each other up, provide resources, connections, um, anything that that community may need. They're there to give with no expectation of anything in return, although generally that is a intrinsic benefit. Um, so I, I think that community is absolutely vital to success, whether it's for you as an individual, your career, your company, whatever it might be, it's so vital to your success, health, general well-being, happiness, everything. It affects our entire lives. Um, And it's something I'm super passionate about, both learning about, building, um, integrating into into my own community in other ways as like an observer and a passive member as well. Um, So I'm so, so enthused to be now a leader in this space here in Boston and hosting and um, speaking at events now, um, something that I truly love doing every day. (laughs) I don't know if that exactly answered your question, but happy to speak on more particulars. Yeah, no, I, I'd love to hear more about, well, you, you had mentioned earlier that you are trying to build community through a sort of side project, right? Um, I'd love to hear more about that, too. Yeah, this is a new pursuit. A friend of mine, Johnny, shout out to Johnny, too. We're shouting out all of your friends. Um, but Johnny and I um, saw a gap in the market for events that were catered towards just young VCs that are really trying to get into the space um, with early uh, early roles like such as an associate at a fund here in Boston. And we wanted to also separate those uh, those uh, investors in a space that where founders are not present. Um, I don't want to be exclusive or excluding anyone whatsoever. However, I have found as someone in the VC world that a lot of events that I attend where it's both uh, VCs as well or investors as well as founders, I'm constantly being pitched. Um, cornered and asked for something. And that's not an environment that I want to be in all the time. I think it has its perks. But Johnny and I really saw this gap in the market for events where it's investors only. So that's what we've been honing in on now. Um, And we've been having these super casual meetups once a month where we invite um, investors in the community to meet each other, share share deal flow, talk about the market conditions. It sounds Mm -hmm. so nerdy, but... um, (laughs) Honestly, we have a great time. <laughs> no, that's what's up. I feel like, well, if you're an investor, you love talking about that sort of stuff. Exactly. Like, I, I, I enjoy it. Sound, I, I guess for people who are outside of the world of startups in BC, it can sound a little monotonous, but I right. love it. Like, I, I love going. I would love to attend one of those dinners when I'm done. Yeah, you should come out to Boston. <laughs> we have one on, I believe it's the 19th. Like when it comes to finding the right people to join your this new community that you're building right is the goal for it to be as inclusive or part part of it is being exclusive to make Mm -hmm. sure the quality and the connections of the community are are built properly yes it's definitely a balance there i will Mm -hmm. say it's tough when you have to say no to someone who's really enthusiastic about attending Mm -hmm. your event but they're just not contributing to the community in the same way that we want um our our members to contribute and uh, yeah it's it's very hard to say no in that instance but if you are too lax about that it diminishes the value that the the members who are there to for, for that purpose can gain out of it. Um, mm. But we want to be as inclusive as possible if you fit the target right, audience. Right, um, gotcha. Right, so we have taken kind of a ripple effect or word of mouth um, approach to marketing these events. And I will say we've only hosted a few of these. It's very early days um, and who knows how long it'll last, but we've had very, very positive feedback so far. Um, and so it started by just us sending a text with uh, an invite to our close friends and we were like, hey, spread the word to anyone else you think would benefit from attending. And now I think our next event is coming up and we have close to 30 people registered. So like I said, still small, but it's a great, great group of people um, that are investing here in Boston. Wow, that's so great to hear. And now that you are, you know, really more involved in planning, hosting um, these bigger events, right? Mm-hmm. I've I've come to notice that even amongst like friends, like outside of the world of business, like everyone wants to know the host, right? <laughs> there's there's a lot of value to being the host that brings people together. 
But as a host, it's like equally really stressful because it seems like the outcome of the event is based off what you do, right? Mm -hmm. So I was going to ask when you are hosting these events for building community, right? Whether it's your own side product or it's for for your work, um, Mm -hmm. how do you strategize to make the event productive, helpful? Mm -hmm. Um, what, What are the keys to success when it comes to planning events? Yeah. Well, I am very type A, so I think of every single detail that will go into an event and also every single way it could go wrong. (laughs) And then I mitigate those risks um, ahead of time. So I think that's just it comes innately like with being that type of way. Um, However, however, I will say one thing I tend to keep in mind whenever I'm planning and hosting an event is why am I hosting this and why would someone want to uh, attend? And then I make all the decisions with those two topics in mind. So everything from the venue, is this easily accessible to the people that would want to attend? Is it a good environment that would um, encourage networking and meeting new people? Is it welcoming and friendly? to the marketing like does the color that i put on the the invite like give a certain message does the description i put off exclude any certain groups so keeping um literally every single decision you make keeping that in mind of about the why i think is something that i tr- strive to do and i would recommend any community builder do um and then also with that balance like we were saying of inclusivity and exclusivity you want to make sure that the attendees are coming and finding an environment that it's it's beneficial to them um i think if you invite just whoever to come because there's free drinks um you can stray away from the the value that can be derived very easily so i want to do a fun thought experiment here um if you could host any event any venue Mm -hmm any mission but it has to be related to like venture capital and startups like what is like the Mm -hmm. the crowning event that you want to host within the next couple years like what's the what's the setting tell me more about like what's the dream event all right i'll go kind of rogue here because we're going we're going big right we're going to do it yeah so i love fitness so i would integrate fitness in some way and i also think that something that i try to address in a lot of my conversations and the way that i like integrate into the community is addressing mental health because founders specifically, not so much on the investor side, but founders specifically are at a really high risk of depression and suicide. So I try to bring that up in conversations and kind of normalize like asking, how are you doing? How is your mental health? Um, How is your life outside of growing your company? So what I would do is host an event for founders and funders, maybe female founders and funders, because those are my favorite uh, events to attend. Not that we want to be exclusive, right? But um, we're for the girls. (laughs) We're for the girls. So I would um, host an event for, let's say, female founders and funders. That's a nice yoga class, maybe on a rooftop or like sunset. And then with networking and drinks after. (laughs) Would you want it to be like a summit type thing or like a more intimate event? 30 to 40 people less? Yeah, I would say keep it small, like Mm -hmm. maximum 80 people, like under 100. um, And then have like a great venue that like we said, encourages the, the networking and meeting new people um, and just have it be like a few hour long event in the afternoon. Oh, I hope I hope you can make that a reality. I think I'm going to have to make this happen. Thank you for this thought experiment here. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. But I actually want to bounce back to the recruiting journey. So very recently, or maybe maybe actually like a year ago, um, you were deep into the recruiting journey, moving away from uh, Gut Brain and PBJ and Riverbend. So I kind of want to hear how you thought that process went. What made things difficult? Was was it easy for you? Um, just like maybe your 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 take on that whole recruiting journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll start with it was far from easy. Um, it was one of the most difficult things I think I have ever done in my life, um, to put it lightly. <laughs> um, and it was extremely defeating and isolating. 
Um, I, so I actually was doing that in conjunction with working at Riverbend. I was working with Riverbend for about 30 hours a week, 20 to 30 hours a week, um, freelance, as I mentioned. And then I also at the same time was recruiting. And that is a full time job. Let me tell you, um, I was taking like three to four meetings a day, either for an interview or for networking to hopefully get an interview um yes it was extremely extremely hard especially from for someone that came from a state convention to school that's not typically recruited into venture capital funds on top of the other things that make uh, vc recruiting so hard like we said the the uh, um how hidden the roles are how rare they are how competitive they are um yeah it was very very difficult mm, so going into it i guess knowing that VCs love to target these certain schools, like alumni mm -hmm. from certain schools, and a lot of these roles are hidden. Um, what was your what was your strategy, right, going into this sort of whole recruiting process? And yeah. did you find that that strategy ended up working out for you? Well, I started with no strategy to okay. be completely <laughs> honest. Um, I I definitely s gained some sort of a strategy as time went on, but. Um, I guess one thing that I did start from day one was I kept a couple of spreadsheets, one for tracking all of the applications that I submitted. And then if I was moved forward at any stage, I would take very detailed notes of that. I would link the job description so that I had it all in one place and could track it like, oh, I, I guess they lost touch with me. Let me follow up or going into a third round interview. I could look back at my notes from the first and second round and make sure that I'm not repeating any information, um, all of that sort of thing that that was super, super helpful having that analytics to be able to look back on. Um, and then the other spreadsheet was for my personal network. So I, in conjunction with applying in the traditional sense of submitting an application and hoping you get an interview and then moving forward in the process, I also uh, dove really deep into reconnecting with my personal network and just asking like, do you know of any roles that are hiring or are you hiring? Um, because like I said, that's how I got my first role at Gut Brain Ventures and PBJ Capital. They were not hiring. I just had a networking call and they offered me a job. Uh, so I kind of took that two-pronged approach of like a typical recruitment process and then also just really networking like crazy. <laughs> mm, gotcha. So if you were to give any tips or advice, right, for those who do want to work in startups and VC mm -hmm. who are pretty new to this space, what are some things that you'd suggest? So I know you mentioned like having the dual sheets, right? Yeah. So you can be really prepared for all these things and really working on networking. But to a lot of people, I feel like, especially within VC, networking is very common. Like everyone understands mm -hmm. like the value of networking, mm -hmm. but for many other roles out there and most other industries, like networking isn't isn't the same as it is for startups in VC. No, networking is quite literally everything um, in the venture world because not only does it help you get that role, but then once you're in the role, you can leverage your network for sourcing. So a lot of times when you are being recruited by a VC fund, they're going to ask like who you know, um, or at least look at your LinkedIn and see who they have as mutuals um, to make sure that your network is legitimate. Um, and I can guarantee you for a fact, the current role that I have, I was hired largely because of my network, because I'm so tied into the Boston space and they wanted someone who can be a community builder here. And I already had that foundation. Um, so I would say having that strong network speaks volumes. I would attend a lot of events because getting your face out there, recognizing, uh, having people recognize you over time, shaking hands and really making that good first impression like we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast um, is huge. And then as far as like other things I would definitely lean into in the recruitment process is keeping on top of market trends um, and, and really having a deep knowledge of this space before you go into your interviews and with that also researching them. Um, so before you go into your interview, you want to know what is their investment thesis? Do the partners have any connection? To could I bring up, oh, I see that we both went to the University of New Hampshire or like, is there some mutual connection that you could bring up? Um, looking over their portfolio, are you familiar with any of the companies in their portfolio? Or better yet, do you know of a company that may fit into their portfolio that you could suggest to them as deal flow? That is huge. Um, 
Yeah, so I would say that that's definitely some piece of pieces of advice. I'll chime in if I think of more. Okay, yeah, I I kind of want to second a lot of those things that you had said, um, but kind of adding on to making sure you show your face around. You can go to one event and have like these amazing one conversations with people and you feel like you're really connected. But I feel like the real value in building network is honestly just like showing up as often as you can, right? Like you can have one really great conversation with someone at the first event and you don't go to any of them, any other events, that's not gonna be very helpful. So the key is like keep showing your face, just say hi. Um, And I know at Mm -hmm. first it's like really, really awkward. The idea of networking, especially for people who aren't in VC, is very scary and it's almost like super fake, but it's just it's part of the job. And yeah. at a certain point, networking is like making friends like nice. like Aiden's like a friend of mine. Like yeah. it's, we met at like a networking event, but we're just like normal friends. A hundred percent. All mm-hmm. of uh, all of my best friends, like truly, well, I would say like 80 percent of all of my best friends I've met at networking events, which that sounds horrible um but but no truly like Jaden you were saying um and Lily Toto who I don't know if you know Lily Toto um, and then Abigail Reese like there are there are just incredible incredible people here in the ecosystem who I can truly say have become my best friends oh that's amazing so make sure you go out to those networking events if you can get a hold or get invites to any of them and just talk as many yes I think it's yeah, a good couple I, to follow I, up as well. Like once you meet someone, like get their contact information and just say like, hey, it was so great meeting you, like looking forward mm-hmm. to seeing you the next time. Something like that. Just one like, simple keep it LinkedIn. Right. right. One simple LinkedIn message goes a long way. I will say too, as far as just keeping your network, I do so. I have a very unique approach to that. Um, the personal um, networking spreadsheet I mentioned earlier, I reference that still on a regular cadence, even though I'm not recruiting. And I'll look through and be like, oh, actually, I haven't reached out to that person in a while. Let me LinkedIn DM them or met or email them and just say like, hey, do you want to schedule a coffee chat to catch up? Um, and I do that regularly as if they're my friends, um, same kind of idea. And then we just talk about an update on their career, um, any companies that they've sourced, and just keeping that relationship warm, like you said, it, it's going to, I know, benefit me um, far into my future career. So I would recommend that to anyone. And have you found that having that network like literally makes your job easier? Yes, 100%. Because now if I have a particular ask, I know who I can go ask that to. In my current role, I'm working closely with startups um, and helping them accelerate their growth. So I can have a company come to me and be like, hey, we just started this white labeled product and we are really struggling with how to price it. And I'm like, oh, I know a pricing expert. Let me connect you with them. So it's stuff like that where I just know that um, network is really everything, I guess, is the, the only way I can put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely seems like amongst all the other guests that I've had um, and some of like the tips and advice that they give, networking is the name of the game, or at least like for people who are young into venture capital. Like we're, we're hired for our connections and accumulation of knowledge, right? We're not hired for some like deep technical skill. So I feel like really being able to grow your network efficiently and, you know, keep those connections warm and actually like build friendships. That's what really goes a long way. And it's, it's also what makes the job like genuinely fun. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I love what I do. And it, most of that is because of the people. That's actually a great segue to our ending. Uh, unfortunately, our time is almost up. Um, but before you go, in the spirit <laughs> of being new to the world of startup in VC, um, I have a ceremonial ask for you, which is to do three things for me, Aiden. So as I mentioned earlier, in the spirit of being new to venture capital, if you were to go back to college and maybe before you got uh, Gut Brain and PBJ and start your career from scratch, you have no connections, but you have Mm -hmm. the same knowledge that you have now. How would you strategize? What, What would you do to get back to where you are at this current point? That is a great question. When you originally sent this to me, I was completely stumped. But then I thought of the most obvious answer for myself, and that is that I would become a startup founder. I would do what I'm doing in reverse um, because my ultimate goal is to become a startup founder. I just haven't thought of an idea. But 
taking that aside, the, the, the lack of an idea aside, um, what I would ideally do is start a company either late in my college career and then pursue that post-graduation or just right upon graduation. Take that risk when I have the opportunity to still live at home and, you know, I have no dependents and all that stuff. Um, start a company in something that I'm passionate about. Find a problem that I'm passionate about solving. Really le lean into that, whether it's successful or not, and then apply that knowledge as a founder to the VC world. I'd still come back to where I'm at now, but I think that uh, people in the venture capital world can provide so much more value to their um, the founders in their portfolio if they have been a founder themselves in some capacity. And like I said, I, I did start that small nonprofit when I was 12 years old, but that is not applicable in the slightest when I'm talking uh, series A founder of an enterprise app. Uh, like it's not, they're not going to take what I, what I have, um, as far as founder to founder advice very, uh, heavily. Um, but yeah, if I were to go back and do it again, I would start, I would find a problem I'm passionate about solving, start a company, grow that company, and then work back, uh, into a role that either supports startups like I'm doing now or in an in investing role. I feel like startup founders are, the the most respected in our space right because they're the ones who are you know working really really hard you know have to go through some of these really tough times of mental health and loneliness because it's like you know their business is everything and they're working on that constantly um but yeah i i totally feel you great answer um and the last two parts of the ceremonial ask are to shout out an investor that you admire someone maybe killing the game or who's written some good thought pieces or who has personally helped you grow and lastly, to shout out a startup or scale up that you think will change the world. Oh, love these two. So we already mentioned her name, but Jaden Bryden is the investor I'm going to give this shout out to because she has been super influential in my path to growing within the Boston venture space. She is such a light in the space. Um, she is so friendly, so welcoming, as you mentioned, always offer offering up um, help helpful advice and and you know like her time even though she's so busy um so she's definitely something someone that i look up to as a mentor and then also i'm lucky enough to call her a friend as well um she went to harvard for her undergrad then went to the x fund she's now an admit to the the mba program at harvard so big things to come from her she also was just named to like the forbes 30 under 30 boston list so I am just continuously impressed by her. So, and she's having a little baby in a month now, which I am. No way, really? She is, yeah. So I am incredibly happy for her. She is thriving, and I cannot wait to see where her future takes her. Wow, that's awesome. I have to catch up with her. Um, what a killer. Um, and so for a startup that you would want to, or that you think will change the world. Yeah, a startup. So I had trouble with this one because I work with so many startups and I don't want to choose a favorite. <laughs> but the startup that I'm choosing to showcase, and I will say there are so many I could have picked for this, but I'm showcasing Ecos AI because I work with this platform every single day to manage the community. And seeing that the topic of conversation today was community building, I wanted to highlight Ecos. And Ecos is a hybrid community management platform and also uses AI to help people that use the platform connect with others that are like-minded. So it actually uh, uses AI to find commonalities between you and other people in the, on the platform. Um, suggest that you connect, and then also suggest events that might be relevant for you. Um, so I have been using this to run my community, um, and then I also have been using it in my current job. Um, and yeah, and Melissa, the founder, she is absolutely incredible. She is going through um, the Techstars Accelerator currently, um, and yeah, big things to come from that company as well. What a cool product and an even better way to end the show. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Aiden. I'm looking forward to seeing all the amazing progress that you have. And when I'm back in Boston, I'll definitely pull up to one of those events. Please do, sooner rather than later. <laughs> thank you, Aiden. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.